0: and become a Christian? Who is responsible for the faith in a person's heart? How does faith get there? These are just some of the questions that we will answer in our latest podcast series on the book, Conversion, from the People's Bible Teachings series. You can purchase a copy from Grace, or pick up a copy from our Northwestern Publishing House. Even if you aren't able to read the book, you can still join us to grow from our discussion joy of our conversion gives us confidence in the promises of God, and certain hope that heaven is our home. Join us in that confidence and hope, and join us as we discuss this topic and our book, Conversion.
1: podcast listeners to another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. We are so glad that you're here, that you've uh, been sticking it out with us through this uh, book on conversion. We're in chapter nine. Um, If you haven't listened to the other eight chapters, uh, you should do that at some point. You can keep listening. Uh, I don't want to tell you not to to listen to this one because then you might not come back. But we would love for you to uh to have that whole conversation i'm pastor brian hockman one of the pastors here at grace and i'm uh pleased to be here with my friend pastor aaron strong how are you today
2: i'm well and i'm i'm happy for the invitation to be with you today for chapter nine it's been a couple chapters i think since i've
1: been in this seat yeah in front of this microphone we got off of our every other schedule a little bit but glad to have you and i'm glad you got the memo about the Tan pants and blue shirt.
0: Yeah, so that's a, that's it's a tan pants, blue shirt day.
2: <laughs> Thought everybody knew that. <laughs> and brown shoes. I mean. Yeah, I
1: guess we are pretty similar.
2: <laughs> I probably was going to throw on a green tie too, but I decided <laughs> to go with Tyless.
1: So. I get to do some, uh, some pre-marriage counseling later this evening. It's very so nice. i excited for, for that. I'm a young couple that God's brought together and get to study so, some of what God's word has to say about marriage for them they're getting married this summer so cool it's always yeah, fun to have that is.
2: kind of biblical encouragement for for young couples that are looking at marriage and what it looks like
1: yeah did i see in a in an email you sent that your kids are doing track this year is that both of them uh no just one okay my my son elijah likes
2: to to run and do all that stuff and my my daughter does not care to run Hannah, so and does <laughs> it, only
1: runs when necessary she only yeah <laughs>
2: only if necessary she's not like to just run across a track for the fun of it so yeah, just Elijah's doing it. Okay. I think he has his first track meet coming up this week.
1: There was a T-shirt in Alaska that uh, people would wear that said, "If I'm running, you should be too," because it means there's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> we uh, we as a family went up to Alaska uh,
2: about three years ago now, and uh, right before, slightly over three, yeah, uh, a little over three years ago, right before you and your family moved out here. And, uh, we did some hiking out in, in the woods and nature and mountains and all that stuff. And we knew that there were bears around and I kind of hoped to see a bear, but the, the kids were very much not wanting to see a bear. And so <laughs> what was their solution? We we're just going to be loud the whole yeah. hike. So there was lots of singing and loud noises and, <laughs> and whatever else to ward off any bears that would be nearby and a muscle work. Cause we did not see any, any bears along our hikes. So like, like pros, <laughs> do you know
1: about bear bells? Uh, I don't know if I do. No. You, uh, they make that for hikers, and it's um, a little bell you put on your belt, Okay, and it's got a magnet in it, so that when you don't want it to be clinging around and making noise, it, it grabs the little P on the magnet, but then when you're out on the trail, you can knock it out of there, and then every step you take, it rattles and jingles <laughs> and, and makes noise so that you don't even have to consciously be doing it, but... Um, it's because the only way to really get hurt by a bear is to surprise it. Right. So if you're being quiet through the woods and so is the bear and you happen up upon the same spot, bad things. Right. Um. But if if you've got the bell, they'll run away. There you so. go.
2: Next time I'm out in the, the wilderness of Alaska, I'll bring a bell and just let it ring.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you Did you use a bear encounter reference in a sermon within the last couple of months? I don't know if I did. You said something about I forget what you said. I'm it was not, something I'm about a bear and, Yeah. Like, oh, I wonder if that was inspired by by a trip to Alaska. <laughs> I, I'm not recalling. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the point of the illustration. No. It was just I forget what it was.
2: Yeah, I'm not remembering any any bear illustrations recently. So <laughs>
1: Well, we are in Chapter 9 of our book, Conversion. We've been going around uh, with uh, Professor Brenner's book and looking at uh, this wonderful teaching that we've got in God's Word about conversion, how it is that we become followers of Christ. So we've gone through some of the main teachings and, and biblical passages there, and now for the next couple of chapters, we're going to talk about some false Teaching some misunderstandings that are out there about this topic about conversion.
2: And yeah, maybe just to, to review and get us into this, you know, what the Bible teaches us and what we believe as as Christians and especially as Lutherans is, is summarized well in, in Martin Luther's explanation to the third article where he says, um, I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choo- choosing believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, um, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and and so on. And so w- the point is is that we cannot on our own ability because we're spiritually dead because of our sin and sinful nature we can't choose to believe in Christ or come to God in faith all on our own and and that's what we've been talking about over these these last episodes is this idea that it's god's working in us to convert us it's god the holy spirit working through the gospel and word and sacraments that brings us to faith um so that's that's the truth and that's what we've been exploring. Now we're gonna look at the false teachings uh that come out, largely because I think of our very simple nature and this this innate sense inside of us that if we've done something wrong or we want to be somewhere, we gotta figure it out. We gotta fix it. There must be some role that I have to play, um, especially when it comes to my relationship with God. I must be able to or have to do something um to to get right with God to come near to him to be converted. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at all these false teachings that have erupted out of this I don't know, if is it logical thinking, but it's it's logical, it's flawed logical sing, uh, thinking because of our sinful nature.
1: Yeah. Um I was going to say and you Kind of took us in a different direction but that third article <laughs> explanation is one of my favorite parts of of all of luther's catechism small catechism because it's just so clear and concise um how do i get to be a believer it's not because of what i do it's because of what the holy spirit does later on then giving the the, the listing of verbs in the same way that he calls gathers enlightens and sanctifies the whole christian church on earth i've used that multiple times in teaching uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? How does the gospel work? What is the church? Uh, these are all just, I think, really eloquently stated um, declarations about the church, about faith, about conversion. And so it makes good sense and logic to see those things in in Luther's explanation of the third article. But yeah, we're, we're going to talk about false understandings, false ideas when, when humans try to um, come in with their own logic, or or else um, when the, when you approach scripture, which with this idea that um, I I need to make it make logical sense to me, or it's got to be consistent, or um, w- anytime you approach the scriptures with here's he, the the agenda of here's what I'm looking for it to say and um we're not willing to just take the words at face value, but have to original sin or, you know, whatever, baptism, scripture is clear on baptism. But if I've got this idea in my head that um, I don't come to faith unless I do something about it, then now I've got to jump hoops through hoops and, and do some play some twister with these clear passages to make them say something that they don't actually say, um, and so a, a lot of problems come about by having this agenda of, well, I don't think that just God's grace in conversion is good enough. I think it's got to be something that I do. Um, why are some saved, not others, or why, um, if it's God's choosing, then it's got to be my choosing too, or if it's my fault for being an unbeliever, then it's got to be God, um, my my ability to choose as well. Um, all of those false understandings are really this bias coming into the the pages of Scripture and saying, I think I've logically got it figured out, and now I need to find the passages to defend the conclusion that I've already come to. Whereas what, what we want to do as followers of Christ is we want to just let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures, let the Scriptures speak clearly, and if we get to a place where it doesn't, Jive with our reason, or doesn't seem to make sense to us. That's okay. Um, God never promises that He's gonna uh, fit into our heads or or make total sense uh, with with the way that we like to think about things. So um, I think that's part of part of the problem is looking for these answers, um, or, or or thinking I've got the answer already, and now scouring the scriptures to try to find proof. For my answer,
2: yeah, I think, and uh, and maybe that plays in a little bit with the uh, the first false teaching that we're going to look at today called Pelagianism. Um, you have this British British monk who taught in Rome, which is just interesting to me to begin with. <laughs> Pelagian or Pelagius was a British monk who taught in Rome in the in the early fifth century, and uh, that just I, I don't know. Historically, it just seems interesting that you would have a British monk in Rome. But, anyways, you have this guy who's looking around and and he's just seeing the moral depravity in in the among the clergy and the church at that time and 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 it rubbed him the wrong way and so he started to try to figure out why and and I think that's what led him down this this path to a false teaching this idea that he wanted to throw out original sin. And this whole idea that we're all naturally sinful because he thought that was just uh, an excuse for people to explain away their bad behavior. Well, we're just original sinless, so it's just going to happen. And, and it gave them an excuse to keep on sinning. So he wanted to get rid of that. And uh, and so he really went down this path of saying, well, there is no such thing as original sin. We all have the ability within us to do right or wrong. Which original sin says, no, we all have this natural, um, this natural inclination to sin. And there's nothing good in us, um, and so he, he gets rid of that, and then that leads down this path of, well, because we can choose good or right, uh, because we don't have original sin, um, it is completely up to us to do what's right to come into a right relationship with God. I don't know how would you summarize Pelagianism, maybe in a in a simple way?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's pretty similar. It throws God out of the picture and. Um, it just it just becomes up to me it really is the we had talked about this opinion guess, the opinion of the law this idea that there's got to be something good in me or this way that i can do something good um it really just takes that to the fullest extent and and says well because there's got to be or because there is then this is how you get there this is how you you have to come to god you have to make the right choices or make the right sacrifices to, to be in the place that you need to be, which ends up, um, you can understand how the teaching develops, but it ends up in a place that's, um, 100% at odds with, with scripture. Right. He, he
2: And he kind of gets this, this idea too, that if God says something in the Bible, well then he must give us the ability to accomplish it. So like when God says, you know, be perfect because I'm perfect. Well, then he logically thinks, well, God wouldn't tell me to do that unless he also gave me the ability to actually do that. And so he looks at Jesus then not so much as Savior as much as example. All right, Jesus, here's the example of Jesus living a perfect life. And so because he did it, we are able to do that too. We just have to choose the the right path and and choose those things. So uh, he just really takes some of those passages out of the context of, of where they fall and the understanding of them
1: and uh, and tries to make sense of it. Yeah. And again, it's the uh, injection of the of human reason right there There's no place in scripture that says that we as humans can be perfect um but he allows his his reason to flavor the way that he's gonna read it, and then pretty soon reason is is more important than scripture, and now that now this is doctrine right that right. i that I have the ability to to be good enough, I have the ability to be perfect. Um, and then you end up in a place that Scripture doesn't allow,
2: right? You know what's really interesting about this is is the timing of this all too. Is it's uh it's the early fifth century, so like four hundred BC or BC eighty. Um, Let's get my centuries mixed up. Um, but um, you know it's it's not that long after Christ, four hundred years ish after Christ, and already you have the early Christian church going off. I don't know if the deep end, but or you at least have this guy trying to to draw people off uh, the the truth of what Christ has done, and I guess that's something that you find early on in the Christian church, already with the time of the apostles, false teachings. But it's just it prol- proliferated itself inside of the the early church. Uh, but to the church's credit, um, largely they rejected Pelagius and his his theories and his teachings, um, and
1: and said no, you're you're wrong. <laughs> that's right. that's not how how it works it's not that similar it's not that dissimilar to um, the Judaism that uh, Paul encounters in Galatians uh, where he's talking about no it's not Jesus plus all of these things it's not Jesus plus the Old Testament laws or plus your obedience or it's just Jesus Jesus has done it all um, so yeah different teachings led by different people that have kind of the same bend. Uh, not not that surprising to see. I thought it was interesting. I was forgetting that Pelagius went toe-to-toe with Augustine. Um, so you've got one of these great church fathers, um, and and he has this opportunity to, they kind of debate a little bit and vo- um, volley and jockey for um, for the attention and for the the. Uh, who's who's got the truth? Who's got the true teachings? So
2: right, well, and I think it's it's important for us to understand too what is you know what's the end result of Pelagianism and why is it such a, a bad false teaching? And I think the reality is is that when you get down to it, if if you follow Pelagianism, it means that you are responsible for coming to God all on what you do, and, and so not only does it put all the pressure on you and and all the work on you, um, but it completely negates Christ. You don't need Jesus in Pelagianism. Uh, like I said earlier, Jesus to him is just an example. Um, if, if a person is able to choose the right thing and and do the right things to get right with God, then you don't need Jesus to be your savior. Um, and so you just really go down a path that is, is totally opposite of what God has laid out for us um, in his plan of salvation through Jesus. And you just completely throw Jesus out of the whole picture. Um, so it's, it's really a dangerous false teaching to fall into to think that I can do something to get right with God. You don't need conversion then. you either. You don't need a Holy spirit working in your heart, um,
1: because you're going to do it on your own. Right. If justification is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, um, Pelagianism is a teaching that is contrary and, and wholly opposed to that particular doctrine. So, um, Augustine was right and others were right in condemning. that as a serious and damning false doctrine. He concludes this section on Pelagianism by,
2: by showing that it's still actually um, found modern, in modern times, too. And, uh, and some of the places that he identifies that, that you'll find Pelagianism is uh, the Masonic Lodge, which I don't know if that's a huge thing or, or not now. Is that still a little, maybe it's a little more secret and I'm just not involved with the secret things of the, the Masons, but very... <laughs> you
1: look to me like
2: I would know Yeah, would you know? Secret. Are you? No, you, I am not a, right, a not a member of a lodge. He's not a member of a lodge. But they're very work-righteous. I mean, yeah. it's very much what you do. Um, along with that is is Boy Scouts, so scouting, um, which just in their their foundational documents and uh, and their mission is very much... Th- doing good and, mm-hmm. and doing good for the, the higher power that you serve. Um, and that's just directly opposed to um, right. God doing I do, it all for us.
1: I do my duty, my duty to God. Like, what is that even? And it, it doesn't say anything about what happens um, if you don't. What happens when you do screw up? What happens when you, when you don't live up to um, the expectations that, others have for you or that God has for you. There's no mention of forgiveness. There's no redemption. There's no, um, cleansing or, or restoration. It's all just, it's on you. Uh, and so you can see the demise that that sets a person up for when, um, all we talk about is what I do, but then I know my heart and I know that I haven't done everything that God wants me to do. Now what? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It really, the Pelagianism just teaches us That we have the power within ourselves to do what's right There's a lot of evil going on in this world <laughs> It's hard to Hard to have the two coincide Very very well Anything else to say about Pelagianism?
1: No, I think we covered that pretty well Well then let's
2: go into a subset Called semi-Pelagianism
1: Let's do that <laughs>
2: <laughs> you sound so excited. <laughs> no, I mean it's the the interesting thing we talked about this ahead of time too is that you start diving into some of these uh these false teachings and some of them are very closely related. Um we're going to talk about semi-pelagianism and synergism next and those those two are are very related in, in some ways. Um and even different uh you know church what would we call them? Um you know scholars and things like that. Um Identify them a little bit differently and talk about them a little bit differently, and uh, and so it's just it's just sometimes hard to wrap your head around uh, what exactly we're talking about. But actually, I think that this book uh, and Professor Brenner lays it out really well. So um, hopefully, we can get that across to you guys. And um, and uh, encouragement, jump into this chapter and just read it for yourself too.
1: I think we also mentioned that. Uh, it would be a good idea to avoid all of these false teachings, regar- yeah. regardless of. I if mean, end of the day,
2: <laughs> they're all false teachings, no matter how you label them or who you attribute them to. Um, don't do them; <laughs> they're sinful. They're going to turn you from God, so just avoid them. Um, so, yeah, semi-Pelagianism.
1: <laughs> so this would be starting out in the same way that this is something that I need to that I am responsible for conversion. Uh, but then the thing that gets would get added is that then God comes in halfway and helps out. Um, that we're too weak to be able to complete the process. We do need God, but it still is something that is initiated by needs to be initiated by a person,
2: right? So it's kind of like um, Pelagianism in the in the fact that we have to do something, right? But um, but. Where Pelagianism would say that we have no, um, we have no original sin, right? We can choose right or wrong. That's totally up to us. Semi-Pelagianism would say, well, we do have. We, we may not have a fully condemned, total depravity, um, but we, we have what's what they would probably term as like a weakened nature. We're, so we're not strong enough to come to God on our own. But if we make some initial efforts to come to God, He'll come and He'll finish the rest for us. So they kind of rely on, on grace a little bit, but just the wrong way, thinking right. that, well, I have the ability to do something right that that God sees in, in me. Oh, he wants to be one of mine. Now I'm going to come and finish
1: it and bring him there. Right. But it also wouldn't be grace, right? It wouldn't be at least the way uh, the well, Bible not, defines right, it. Right, not, not the way be, the Bible does. It wouldn't be undeserved love because the only way to get this love of God is by taking those initial steps. So there's no way around it, even if you try to dance with fancy lingo, that's earning it, right? If if I say, this is the example I use in Bible class, um, I'll give you $100 if you wash my car. That's not grace because you've got to go wash my car in order to get 100 It might be a great deal. It might be a great way to spend 20 minutes and and uh, and make a whole bunch of money, right? But um, that's still something that you've earned. I've made an agreement and, and you're doing your part Whereas God's grace is undeserved love. We don't do anything to deserve it, and God comes 100% to us. Right. Um,
2: Yeah, so that's semi-Pelagianism. I don't know. What else would you add to that? Anything else? Looks good to me. So, I think the thing to keep in mind there is your is discussion, that, not semi-pelagianism. Right. Doesn't look good to me. Your discussion. <laughs> yeah, about that's probably it good, looks to good to clarify. <laughs> so, I think the the thing to take out of that is, is semi-pelagianism is this idea that there's some ability within me to start the process of coming to God. I just need Him to finish it. Yep. Cool. Um the next one is synergism, which is very similar in, in some respects to semi but I think just kind of reversed. Kind of stuff,
1: backwards, yeah. Right? Backwards
2: semi plagiarism. Um synergism literally means working together. Um and, and this and this is why sometimes I think some synergism can sometimes be used more as a overarching category for these false teachings in the fact that synergism just means man working with God in some respect. Right. Um to to be converted, to, to come to faith, that kind of stuff. Um, the way that we're going to talk about it here is, is a little bit more specific.
1: Um, do you want to describe that for us? Sure. So synergism would be um, the idea that God starts the conversion process, but then I have to take over. I have to take the ball and run with it. Um, okay. So it still ends up with both components from semi-Pelagianism, that I have to do some parts um, and I can't be converted if I don't do those parts, but I also need God to do something. um Synergism would be same parts required but but instituted in the different in a different order. So God starts it and then it's there for me. so sometimes there's language like God offers grace to people. Um, and I think that has a smattering of this synergistic false understanding as if God's got it out here on a platter for me and I have to reach out and grab it. I have to do something, um, to, to receive it. I have to make the stride, take the step, um, to do enough good. Um, this would be any type of, of work righteousness, uh, I think would, would generally fit into this category that, um. Yeah, God saves me, but I also need to do my part. I also need to work with, in order to, to complete the, the process of of conversion. It strikes me that this um, that this turns conversion into a process, into a sequence of events, instead of the the one time declaration of being not guilty. That God's word tells us that it is. Right. Um, it's something that. I have to work towards, rather than Scripture telling me that God has accomplished this, um, that the Holy Spirit is the one who turns me and converts me, and it's all done by Him and it's all done at once. Um, this synergistic idea is stretches it out and turns it into a several-step process,
2: yeah, and it kind of minimizes Christ's sacrifice. It's like that, that was it was good in, and to get us started, but now we got to finish the rest. Um, it wasn't complete um, and this is uh, you know synergism would be um, a false teaching that that w- I think we would say wor- widely finds itself in the in the Roman Catholic Church uh, and and I think they would um, we, we would maybe describe it the way that they talk about it as as maybe like infused grace like like Christ is like this spark and God plants that spark of faith and grace inside of us that ignites now a fire within us and a life of, of living that now we have to work with God with the things we do
1: to complete our salvation. Right, which is why, I mean, that, that's why a Catholic and a Lutheran can have the same Bible but have a vastly different understanding of justification. Um, a Catholic's going to define, at least their catechism defines grace, as infused grace right so god puts it into god infuses this grace into me which then gives me this is the way they would define it gives me the ability to play my part in the salvation equation um so so they teach that you go to heaven based on what jesus did and your obedience your cooperation with jesus um so they would be the synergism where God starts it, but you have to complete it. But the the way that they define grace then is how they can have uh, Ephesians 4. four. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Catholics have that passage in their Bible. That is such a um, a favorite and dear, dearly loved passage for a Lutheran because it spells out salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, the Catholic is going to say, but grace is this spark that God puts in you. And yeah, you are saved by grace because without the spark, you can't do your part. Without the spark, you can't work the way that you are supposed to in order to complete the equation. Um, So being really careful to use terms and define terms becomes really important um, when we're going to talk about Catholics versus Lutherans as far as salvation doctrine. Right.
0: And
2: I think uh, the writer does a nice job of, of pulling out uh, from the the Roman Catholic Church's own documents, their historical writings, and the things that they base their their doctrine and teachings on. Uh, he does a nice job of pulling out um, and some great quotes that just show this is what they believe and teach about it. And if I could share just maybe one of them uh, from the Council of Trent, which was a while ago um, in the 1500s. Uh, It says, if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. In other words, if you're going to say it's by grace alone and that there's nothing else that a person has to do in order to earn the grace of God and a relationship with him, then you ought to be condemned. And, and that's actually then repeated in their, in their catechism and stuff like that too, where, um, just real quickly, justification, they say justification establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. And it goes on to talk about how man has to now uh, do his efforts and his works, uh, to complete the grace of God uh, yeah. in their lives. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so contrary to the, the simple truths of scripture.
1: And I think it's worth placing this in on the historical timeline. So the Council of Trent, fifteen forty-five to fifteen sixty-three. This is a council that's called in response to the the Reformation. Right. Um, the first half of that century, fifteen seventeen, um, is is you know the Reformation there. Those those important dates, and and now it's gaining this following. And the church, what do we do about this? Well, let's call the council. So this language is basically issuing condemnations to the Lutherans. Um, and it's noteworthy that these things haven't been haven't been repealed. Yeah. Um, they've added so many things to their teaching on who gets to go to heaven. They've got, uh, you know, it starts as you have to be a member of the Catholic Church and the church holds, um, holds the power over the sacrament. And, and they are truly, if you're, the church on earth in their own minds. And then it's uh, people who are good and uh, and sincere, and and by now you can be Muslim or Buddhist or spiritualist or anything, but the only way to really go to hell is if you're a Lutheran, still according to the Catholic Church. <laughs> right. um, they still hold, um, hold these as their official teachings um, that you can believe just about anything except for that Jesus did everything that was needed for your salvation um, it's pretty striking have you I'm sure you've you've encountered a person that says uh Catholics and Lutherans are pretty much the same
2: oh yeah all the time <laughs> um but when you you dive down into it yeah there's a right. there's from the, at the very foundation
1: they're very different foundations depending on who it is I'm talking to if there's someone that knows me and understands my my personality i might respond unless you think that uh the teaching on how you get to heaven is important because <laughs> because according to that we are pretty different lutherans and catholics have a, a vastly different polar opposite teachings on how it is that you get to heaven right um but sometimes that allows for that kind of, what, what do you mean you use the organ and the liturgy looks the same and Right, but let's talk about what really matters. What's the most important doctrine? It's how how do you get to heaven? Right. Um, let's talk about what each side says. Yeah, exactly.
2: What's being, what's what are you hearing in the sermons being taught and preached to you? Because those are going to be very different. Anything
1: else to say on those false teachings? He's got a good quote from the Formula of Concord. Then, so the the Lutheran response to um, to all of these. These false teachings, um, of course, you know what that's going to say: salvation by grace alone through faith alone, right. on the basis of Scripture alone, um, divine monergism. He he uh, drops that that phrase in there, the very last sentence or two. Um, God is the one. God alone is the one who works the conversion in the sinner. God works alone. It's not working with. It's not synergism. It's God. It's one worker, one worker, and that worker is God which we've said it before, but gives us all the comfort in the world because I don't have to doubt whether I've done enough. I don't have to doubt if, if I understood what my role in this was and if I did it well enough or um, if it really is I've got to do 2% of my salvation. Have I done my 2%? Uh, there's just never a chance. If, if I go to heaven based on God doing some of it and me doing some of it, there's no peace there. Mm-hmm. There is no comfort, there's no rest, because there's always gonna be a chance for me as a frail human being to have screwed something up. Right. Or to have misunderstood, or to have not done enough, or to have done the parts that I was responsible for incorrectly. Um but the, the Bible's teaching is so much more comforting and so so peace-inducing that Jesus has done it all. Salvation is secure, it's a fact. And it's a free gift of of God's grace because of who he is, not because of who I am. In in fact, it's in spite of who I am, um, in spite of the fact that I don't deserve it at all, I still have this salvation because I have a God who forgives and a God who loves and a God who saves. I
2: think the only thing to say to that is, this this is is
1: most certainly certainly true.
0: true. Thanks for listening. We'd love to share more about God's love with you. Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There, you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.